Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, by the way, this is the fourth anniversary of my wife and I moving here. This is the first, yeah, the day we arrived in Montana. And, and as we came here, um, and it, it relates, we prayed, and we prayed about a bunch of different options and a bunch of different jobs, and we decided this is where God wants us to go, right? This is what God wants for us. And, and things have gone well, right? Things have not gone well because I'm clever and handsome and funny and all this other stuff. I mean, that's not the case. Think, <laughs> thank you, Jessica. Aw. Um, <laughs> she going to throw me off. Um, things have gone well. Things have gone well in this congregation, this community, like because God's decided that's the way it's going to be, right? The reality is that once God makes a decision, that God's decisions are pretty powerful. Everybody with me? Like if God decides it's going to go this way, it's going to go this way. If God decides, you know, we're going to get rain all summer and it's going to be the best crop ever. That's the way it's going to be. If God decides that this church is going to grow, it's going to grow. Um, we have a role in that. We have a job to do. But ultimately, like, we serve a God who makes decisions. And our job is to figure out what God's calling us to do, right? That's right. It, our job is to figure out what God's calling us to do and do it, right? And sometimes I, I sometimes, man, I hate that it's this way, but sometimes being a believer is a little like being a rhino. Right? You don't get to see where you're going, but God tells you where to go when you trust that he's heading you in the right direction. And it ain't your problem if stuff pops up in, in your way. It's, it's whatever's deciding to stand in God's way. is the pro- You know, they're going to have the problem. Does that make sense? I'm not telling you to, like, run over your neighbors. I'm not telling you anything else. I'm telling you, as we jump into the book of Judges, this is an important concept. Um, Judges, as a book, takes place between... All right, so you got Moses brings the people out of slavery. You got Joshua takes over after Moses dies. And in fact, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, it says Moses dies. And then God says, go take the holy land. I'm with you. I've given the land over to your hand. That's important. We're going to get to it in a minute. But Joshua is the leader of the Israelites for a little while. And like there's this stretch of time. And then Judges happens when Joshua dies. And so Judges is this period of about 500 years. It is an incredibly difficult book for chronology because the stories overlap, right? And like ancient Hebrews, when they wrote, they didn't like worry as much about chronology as we do, right? Like in my world, chronology is A, B, C, D, E, F. And that's a Western idea. It's a Western thing. In the East, it's less of an issue, right? And so chronology isn't always the most important thing. It makes judges incredibly difficult to piece together as a, as a, um, as a timeline, um, it's, just, it's very difficult to figure out. But FYI, it's the period between the monarchy and Joshua. And like, like everything that happens, the judges are guys that God raises up to take care of problems, right? Because they didn't have a king, they didn't have a designated leader. And so if there was an invasion, God would pick out a guy and say, you're the judge, go take care of it. If there were legal issues, the judge like presided over legal issues. Basically, the judge was God's representative to the people. Um, So this is the book of Judges. The major theme of the book of Judges is a hill, right? It's a downward hill. Things start out fantastic, and by the end, things are a disaster. 
And as we go through the book of Judges, what you're going to see is things start out great. People are like kicking butt and taking names and they're obedient to God and they're faithful and everything else. And then like they don't do quite as well at that. And then they don't do quite as well at that. And then they don't do quite as well at that. And by the end, you get to Samson who like does a terrible job of being a judge. He's actually the biggest utter failure. And it's a theme we see in the Bible over and over again. When you look at the monarchy, David's pretty awesome. Not perfect, but awesome. And then every guy after him is just downward, right? And so, like, it's a central message of the Old Testament that because people are fallen and broken, our tendency on our own is to start out strong, but to get worse and worse and worse, like entropy sets in, like there's this degradation that takes place. And so as we work into this, um, this is a major theme, and we're going to work our way through that, and it'll be really interesting. You're going to learn a lot from this. Um, The next part that I need to talk about is the idea of holy war. Um, What we watch happen in the the Holy Land, like in, in Israel, is a holy war. The Jewish people come through, and they conquer the land that God has promised them, and it is violent, right? And it is a holy war. Um, A holy war is the closest you will see to hell on earth, right? It is God's wrath and judgment coming down on earth without grace and mercy, right? Um, And that's kind of the way you look at it from the outside. Like if you're a theologian, you're reading the Old Testament, this is the external view of what hell looks like. It It is God's judgment without God's mercy. And there's a whole lot of no mercy that plays out here. Um... So be aware. Also, this is not against Canaanite culture. It's not that the Canaanites made bad houses or low-end pots or their paintings weren't good enough. This is about the fact that the Canaanites, um, well, religiously, they sacrificed children. And they, um, I mean, actually, literally, they would set them on fire as a way of sacrificing. You would throw your child into the fire, and they'd have this little statue of Baal with his arms out, and his, like, they'd glow red hot because it'd be a metal statue, and you'd put your child into Baal's arms as a way of, like, getting an assurance that you'd get a lot of rain. Um, and, and God said, look, this isn't okay. We're, we're, we're going to execute some judgment. And so, like, FYI, guys, like, we like to talk about God's love. We talk, love talking about the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that we're forgiven. But, like, the, this is a pretty rough book, and it's rough because it represents God's judgment against sin, and it's brutal. Um, Final thing here, there is descriptive and proscriptive texts in the Bible, right? Frequently, the Bible records what happened. And sometimes the things that happened are not things God wants us to do. Everybody with me? There's a great story in, I think it's actually in Judges, where a general goes off and he fights a battle and he comes back and he says, God, thank you for letting me win. I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. And what comes out of his door? His daughter. So he sacrifices her. Which is like, for the Jewish people, human sacrifice is one of the most offensive things you could possibly do. And so, like, like that would be an example of a descriptive, this is what happened, not a, hey, guys, sacrifice your daughters. Right? You're okay, Abby. Um, I love you, sweetheart. Um, so, just be aware, not all of this is proscriptive. Some of us is is recording history. And it's ancient history. It's kind of brutal. We're not going to do all the verses I wanted to do today. Um, we're going to kind of hit the high points here, and, and we'll, we'll move on. But starting out in Judges 1, right? After the, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, 
I have given the land into his hands. Now watch this. If you go to the beginning of the book of Joshua, right? Joshua. Joshua starts with, and Moses had died. Like it's basically word for word, except you change Joshua to Moses, right? And you change um, Judah will go first, like I've given you the land in your hands, is the same phrase at the beginning of the other book. The reason the authors did this is because these two books were meant to sit next to each other on a shelf, right? It is not a sequel, it's a companion volume, right? It is a story that takes place immediately after. It is a continuation, but it is a companion volume with its own theology, its own message, its own everything. So these two books are connected, but I wanted to do Judges, not not Joshua, and so we're doing Judges first. Maybe we'll do Joshua in about five years. Um, So everybody with me, there is a parallel here. Now... Um, God, like they ask God, what are we supposed to do? And there are all sorts of ways they would do this. It's probably the case based on the phrasing, because in Hebrew, the way it was phrased, it makes it sound like they use the Urim, Urim and Thurman. Is that, am I saying it right, John? My Hebrew's awful. Um, and, and that's basically two rocks, and they had this whole ceremony they did, and God would give them his will based on that. And so God says, look, um, Judah goes, and it's not because Judah is the best. It's actually because this first two chapters, we see a degradation. And the major theme of the book is foreshadowed. Because Judah is sort of God's chosen, right? And um, progressively they get worse. And actually it starts in the south where, like, Israel was faithful and sort of remained. And, like, the tribes that are told the stories go north then. And by the time you get to the north, they're awful, And they do a terrible job. And in the book of Judges, we find, like, and actually throughout Jewish history, the northern tribes did worse than the southern tribes. And so there's foreshadowing happening here. So, like, the book is telling us, hey, things start out good, but they're going to get worse. So God tells them, Judah is not given this as a sign that they're the best. It's just the way that God does it. But it also helps build into this theme, so that's important. And what he says is, look. I've given you this land, all you gotta go all you gotta do is go take it, right? All you have to do is go take it for yourselves and it's yours. Meaning you're gonna win your battles. I've already made that decision, you're gonna win your battles, you are going to um, win them spectacularly, it's going to be, you know, the case that this land is yours, just go get it. How does that go, guys? How do you think? Great in the beginning, progressively worse. And it goes that way because in the beginning they start out listening. It's a little like a crash, right? The Jewish people entered the land with all the force of a pack of rhinos charging in. And then what happens is, instead of doing what God told them to do, they progressively say, well, I don't like this idea. This is hard. Hey, those guys look a lot lot tougher than the last guys we beat. We probably can't fight them. Let's not do it. And they just more and more and more they disobey God and the more and more they disobey God all the weight behind their push goes away does that make sense Um, and so as we dive in just be aware like Judah goes first Judah go and fight and Judah said to Simeon his brother come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites and likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Now, this is Judah and Simeon. These are the tribes, right, personified, not the individual guys because they're dead at this point, just dead. 
Um, and, and so, like, we personified the two tribes come together, and they're both from the same, like, like mother, like, they're blood-related. You know, this is a really tight thing in the Jewish world. And so they say to each other, hey, let's work on this together. Um, was that in the command? No. <laughs> and it's actually a foreshadow because we see throughout Jewish history where they make treaties with people that they're told not to make treaties with, and they do things their way, and it becomes a, like a degradation that takes place. And they do well, but they've already started ignoring. Like God said, well, go do this, and they're like, well, you know what? I bet we need a partner. Let's work on this together. Well, that's not what God said. Well, but that's what we're going to do. And so they've started out ignoring God. Right? Um, then, Judah, oh, then Judah went up, um, and the Lord gave them the Canaanites and the Perizzites. By the way, this is kind of an interesting phrasing. Um, the Canaanites were basically city dwellers. The Perizzites were country guys. Right? And so, like, the, the, the farmers and the city folks gathered up to fight against the Jews, Jewish people that were showing up. Um, they, they, and God delivered them into their hand. So they show up and they fight and they beat the heck out of them. And they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. Now, 10,000 in Jewish literature, it's probably at a minimum a rounded number, right? Um, and sometimes in Jewish literature, instead of it meaning 10,000, it means a whole mess of them, right? That's like a figure of speech. Um, it's not really clear if they actually, you know, 10,000 is the round number, if it meant that they showed up and fought and just had a thoroughly amazing victory. Um, but one way or the other, they beat the, beat the tar out of the, the enemy, and they capture the city. Um, and they found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and Perizzites. So Adonai Bezek is a king, right? Now, he's a Canaanite king. The Canaanites were known for being pretty nasty folks, Right? They frequently did things that were very unpleasant to their neighbors or to each other or to their children. Or, and this fella is no different. Um, we see Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him, caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Um, and Adonai, Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up the scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Now, um, I think this is the spot we're going to stop today. And, uh, uh, but I'm going to explain this. They capture this guy. They look at him, and they say, you know what? In your palace, you conquered your neighboring kings. And 70, again, probably a whole mess of the neighboring kings. You disfigured them. And so we're going to do the same thing to you, Right? And the idea here for the Jewish people is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? But it's a misread of that teaching because that teaching existed so you didn't escalate violence. It existed so the law would not become, you know, oh, wow, you, you know, broke my hand. I'm going to cut off your leg. Well, you cut off my leg. I'm going to kill your, kill your kid. You know, it's, it's so that revenge wasn't the, the guideline. It was a... Like, hey, don't get punishment out of control here. It's an eye for an eye, right? Don't go beyond what they owe. Well, they took this guy, and they punished him based on, well, it's an eye for an eye. He's been disfiguring other kings. Let's get him. Um, But they did it in harmony with a Canaanite religious principle. Because behind this, there's a religious thing, right? Canaanite kings were priests. So their job would be to 
execute the religion of the Canaanite people in their city-state. And so this king would have been considered to be God's hands and feet in their city. And so what if they come along and cut off his hand, you know, part of his hands and part of his toes? Suddenly he's an imperfect priest, and it's basically saying, hey, your religion's stupid, right? And it was a Canaanite practice. They did it. So the Jewish people, they come in, they start fighting, they capture the king, and they employ a Canaanite punishment. Now, anybody who knows the Bible well will tell you they had really strict rules about punishment, right? You didn't cut off fingers and toes. That wasn't a part of the Jewish law. The Jewish people showed up, they fought, and they said, well, it works for them, let's do it. Um, so they've already started to adopt, and this is the very beginning of the problem. And the problem is going to play out, but like what we're going to watch here is Judah is going to conquer their area really well, but we see two significant disobeyings that happen early on. They made a treaty they weren't supposed to do, and they adopt Canaanite customs, Right? Um, this fellow goes on, and he probably bleeds to death. That's the guess, or an infection got him. Like, losing a limb in the ancient world was no small thing, even if it was just your thumb. Um, he died when he arrived at the, the next battle. Um, but they, they've, they've already started to compromise, right? Um, and this is going to become the heart of the problem. Um, and here's why. Like, what do we do with this? This is a pretty, like, crazy set of stories, Right? What do we do with this? How do I apply this as a 21st century Christian? Um, First off, it is not our job as believers, right, to destroy the culture. Um, There are groups of folks out there who their whole belief about the world is have nothing to do with the culture. And anything that's, like, not Christian is evil. You'll see where people bring out bulldozers and run over, like, non-Christian records, which is, it's just silly, right? Our job is not to kill people. Our job is not to wipe out the culture. Our job is to be like salt and light in this world, right? We don't fight with swords and stuff like that, or guns or whatever. We fight with, with, with the gospel, honestly. The Roman Empire is one of the most powerful nations that has ever existed in history, right? I mean, next to Alexander the Great, probably. And Alexander the Great, his empire only lasted a few decades, whereas Rome lasted centuries, right? Actually, you could argue like a thousand years, you know, give or take based on definition. Anyway, um, that nation was brought to its knees by Christians. It was changed by believers who loved their neighbors, who preached the gospel, who gave to the poor, who took care of folks who, you know, like, like, I don't know, abortion is not a new thing. If you go into the ancient world... People would, instead of aborting their babies, if they didn't want to keep a child, they would just leave it in the woods. And it was considered illegal in Rome to pick up a child from the field and take it home. And Christians did that because they said it is really wrong to leave babies laying out in the woods. And so we'll take them and raise them as our own. And they were persecuted for stuff like that. They were, they were um, deprived of their property. They were set on fire. They were tortured the whole nine yards, but it was that stuff, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love that comes out of folks and the new life that's exhibited that changed the Roman Empire. And we have the same task. The Holy Land in front of us, right, isn't the Holy Land. This is America. I love America. I love my country. My father served this country his whole life. But this isn't Israel, right? We're not Israel. But we do have a job, and our job is to share the gospel. Our job is to share Jesus. And that gospel, by the way, watch this, 
um, is not be good and God will forgive you or give to God and he'll give you more money back, which is a popular version of the gospel we see, but it's not the Bible. The gospel is God loves us so much. He is so crazy in love with us beyond all reason that he would send his son to take punishment for the wrong things we do. So when you do things wrong, when you rebel against God, when you are horrible and wicked and everything else, Jesus takes our punishment and we're asked to have a relationship with God. So like God says, I will sacrifice my son for you and then I want you to be in a relationship. I want you to love me. I want you to follow me. I want you to belong to me. I want you to be my people. And that is what we're called to do. As long as we are faithful to that, we get to play rhino, right? We get to say, God is on our side, right? We may run into a brick wall, but if we run into a brick wall, God put it there. And that's okay. Because our only job is to figure out God's will and do it. Figure out God's will and do it. Um, and it's going to apply all over the place. I'm not just talking about, well, you know, let's pick this politician out and he'll fix America. None of that nonsense. I'm talking about what is God's will for me? Am I called to, you know, am I called to devote myself? Am I called to draw closer to God? Am I called to lead my family to know Jesus better? Am I called to be an example of what Jesus was, like who Jesus was, his teachings and his life? Am I called to emulate that to the folks around me these are the things that we're called to do and like we're to push at it like learn grow disciple become a mature believer and replicate ourselves with the folks around us sharing the gospel with the folks that we encounter like serving and loving the folks we encounter this is our job we're not supposed to do it in compromise right because we see that with these guys hey we'll make a treaty and sometimes you see that happen in the modern church where we'll say, well, this isn't exactly right, but we'll look away from it because it seems to work, right? There's, um, I, I don't like going to the Christian bookstore in, in Great Falls because Christian bookstores kind of make me mad because there are all these guys who preach things that aren't in the Bible. And they become bestsellers because these guys are saying, do these things and God will make you rich, just like the disciples who all died in prison and set on fire and skinned alive and everything else, but like, We'll ignore that and say they were all rich because you can be rich too. That's not the gospel. That's a lie, right? It's a lie. Um, you know, we don't make compromise and join up with that. We follow Jesus the best we can here. We love folks the best we can here. We serve God in our family. We serve God in our community. And we do the best we can to serve God in the world. Um, and so, like, as we kind of finish this up, I want to make it very clear this is a hard job, right? And a lot of times we start out strong and we stumble because it's the nature of man. We're sinful, right? Um, but it doesn't change our calling. And it doesn't change what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray, seek after the Father, figure out what he wants us to do, and then 30 miles an hour no matter what's in front of us, right? We don't hurt people. We love them. We don't crush people. We share the gospel with them. We don't brush people aside because they're inconvenient. We serve them and we wash their feet and we become like Jesus. That is our calling, folks. And as we dive into ju judges, this is the strongest thing I could start with, right? Um, next week we're going to talk about a wedding. How weirdly appropriate. I didn't plan it, but the next section is about a wedding. And so um, I'm sure 
I'm sure that'll be fun. Um, but as we go out of here, my challenge for you today is, watch this. My challenge for you today is, are you looking for God's will in your life? Do you understand your place in God's, in God's plan, honestly? And not like, oh, I'm so special, God put me here. But God loves me enough and loves the world enough to use me to serve the world, right? Um, are we compromising? Where are you compromising, right? Because it's easy to compromise. It's just easy. That's why compromise exists, because it's easier. Um, but are we loving and serving and obeying and putting sin away from our lives and like becoming what God made us to be intentionally and daily, that's what we're called to do. Are you doing it? And if you're not, what do you need to do to get there? Um, we're going to close in prayer and we'll and do communion. <laughs> Sorry, I got caught up in it. I'm going to call my guys forward for communion. Um, what this is, guys, and I know I say it every time, but it's important to remember. Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. He died taking our sins on himself. Um, and actually, 